welcome to the Biblically Discerning Podcast, where we seek to have intentional and thoughtful conversations about theology and life. We want to walk in truth and grace the way that God designed us to live. So with that said, let's get into this week's podcast. Welcome back. This is week three of the Rightfully Discerning Podcast. Uh, Again, here we have Leia and myself, Zach. Howdy. We will be talking about uh, addiction, mainly uh, pornography, phone addiction, stuff like that. We had recently uh, eaten dinner with a really, really good friend of ours, Willie, um, and had an amazing conversation with him about this topic and just kind of wanted to share and... Yeah. Kind of the overview. What's yeah, going to be about? Pretty much. So the conversation kind of started, and part of the reason that we're talking about it is just because there were several just epiphanies in that conversation, but it kind of started talking about um, like phone use. It, kinda, it was funny the way that Willie was talking about it because we were eating dinner together, and he was saying that a pet peeve of his is whenever you're sitting with someone and then you're talking to them and you're supposedly having a conversation. And instead of looking at you and talking to you, they are on their phone. Um, and I was kind of going over some of the things that we had learned about at a, well, I mean, in general, there's other studies about our church in Houston, whenever we were living there, did a series on it um, and was talking about the, the physical effects in the brain and that screen time and phone use, specifically like social media use, is just highly addictive. And so the constant dopamine um, stream from from using your device causes like this background hum of anxiety whenever you're not on it. So kids who are, or I guess not even kids now, adults do this too, um, but people who are constantly on their phone with social media, whatever, have this background hum of anxiety whenever they're not on their phone because they're not getting that dopamine dose constantly. Plus, they're just less socially adept because they're always on their phone. So you have that commingling together and causing those issues. Mm-hmm. I'd also include games on your phone, texting, um, just anything, anything, because every part of your phone is engineered to keep you on it as long as you, they possibly can. Um, not just social media. Social media is specifically engineered to make sure you do that because they can get money from ads and all that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it's an interesting uh, paradox because it seems to have simultaneously made us less connected but want to feel connected at all times. Because it Mm -hmm. used to be if, you know, someone had a house phone, well, then you could contact them when they were at home, and that was a whole new thing, right? Being able to talk to someone who lives across the country, incredible. Um, But if you were out and about at work, um, or even go further back when people didn't have house phones, and you just had to either live in their immediate vicinity or go and visit them, which could take a really long time, then you just couldn't contact them. And if you lived out in the country, then it was just you and your family. And if you went out to do something by yourself, they just wouldn't know how it went until you got back. And people were used to that, used to being disconnected, but there were a lot closer family and community ties. Now it's flipped. People feel like they're connected all the time, but their family and community ties are weaker than ever. Mm-hmm. 
and yet they either call or want family. Like they call their closest friends family or long for that kind of connection when it's always there. Yeah, or it it's a it's like diet connection, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not actually what your system can process, but yeah. you still crave it. Yeah. And speaking of things that you crave and then try to fill inappropriately. <laughs> not you, I'm just meaning the general you talking about pornography, which I think the conversation turned this way at dinner just because um, pornography is such a pervasive addiction in our culture with the rise of technology because it's just so accessible. It's not only that, it's accepted and honestly encouraged. Well, encouraged how? I haven't really seen that much. A lot of people either don't don't care or if you ask someone, oh yeah, I look at porn, I masturbate, and that's it. They're like, it's just something that you do. Oh, well, in that sense, yeah. It's even like joked about in a lighthearted way in, in movies and, and shows, mm-hmm. um, which, again, it used to be a thing to to be embarrassed about, which I feel like it, it should still be, but um, I, I think the yeah. <laughs> approach to it has not been great. Huh? I was just thinking about how back in the day before I was alive, um, the way that you would get porn is you had to go to a store mm-hmm. and buy a magazine and have that I've heard from people like the shame and guilt but going to like an adult bookstore or video store yeah yeah but that's I think they still do that but I honestly don't know why would they it's so accessible yeah now you can just hide away in your room and yeah no one knows Mm -hmm. which is again the horrifying thing is we're connected in a way that is not good for us. And it's, it's a substitute for something we should have in private, but it destroys us, right? Because the thing that you should have sexually in private is sex with your spouse. Mm-hmm. That is what should happen in that space. But because now we have this artificial connection to everything that you could want to look at instead of you know building real relationships or working on your marriage, whatever you now have access to this other thing that robs you of the joy that you should have mm-hmm. in sex and destroys real relationships that should have it. Mm-hmm. All right. I guess relationship. <laughs> yes. Monogamous. Not. Yeah. Well, I guess it could be a ship if you're like talking about to each other. Oh, yeah. I guess that works. Yeah. Anyway, but part of, again, the more constructive side of that is not just saying, ah, it's a big problem, what you gonna do? But kind of going over, well, then what's the solution? Um, And so you kind of went on that topic with him a little bit, just talking about trying to get away from your phone. And then I actually don't know all that much about the accountability software or how it works. Different ways. You you need to find the the source of what triggers you to look at porn. whether it's the place that you're at, the time that you're at, um, a certain app, whatever, whatever the usual kind of, trigger. kind of, I guess, soft trigger mm-hmm. um, that you don't maybe necessarily notice. Sometimes there's probably a hard trigger. Um, finding that and getting rid of it and pornography proofing your life. Um, one of those is, I think, gotten more popular, at least in the Christian community, which is... 
um, accountability software, uh, whether that's you know Covenant Eyes or Accountability to You, whatever this, which just looks at your phone, all that you do, um, pages, what you look up, um, and reports it to a partner or many different partners that are set up. And if something is triggered, you they get an alert and they they should message you or call you. <laughs> They, they should, that's the, the point, is to keep you accountable to um, being pure. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of the ways to get rid of pornography. Another way is getting rid of your smartphone entirely. Um, not even letting it be a thing. Getting mm-hmm. a flip phone. I guess, um, I mean, that's, like, people don't like to, you know, apply things in Scripture the way that they should. But it's part of what Jesus was saying, right? He's like... If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it away. Well, that was extreme. That was giving a hyperbole. Obviously, well, that's what I'm saying. Is that example works out really well right there? Like if he mm-hmm. was was giving that example of plucking out your eye, like how much easier, or at least it should be so much easier to throw away a phone, right? Yeah, and doesn't help that society teaches you that you need it mm-hmm. in order to function. Mm-hmm. Because even just sitting in stores or, you know, waiting on food or something, you just sit there, look around, and everyone's on their phone waiting. Or I can't remember where I was. It was at a doctor's appointment or something. Um, but I just chose to sit there and I get on my phone and the lady walked by because I was still waiting. Like, you know, you can get on your phone. It's okay. And I was like, no, I'm okay. It was just odd. Hmm. Like they incur, like just a random person encouraged me, you can get on your phone. Yeah. Well, it's because I think people expect it now. Yeah. It's so weird. Um, like, I know that I'm kind of part of the generation this happens in, but it, I grew up kind of different than a lot of people did just because of my family. Um, not not crazy religious. Well, I guess we kind of are crazy religious <laughs> types, but, you know, just Bible believing. But that wasn't why. <laughs> Reason was because we didn't get phones until we, we could buy them. Anyway, but going to like a restaurant or something and seeing everyone around the table just on their phones. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. So sad. Yeah, I'm like your family and you're just on your phone. Yeah, it's it's just bizarre to look at. I saw a really cool set of our really maybe cool is not the right word, kind of sad photos where a, a photographer took a whole bunch of pictures of just routine things. Um just daily life activities and then edited out the phones to see just how ridiculous it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really sad. Like there was a picture of three brothers sitting on a couch and ostensibly you can tell that they were holding tablets, but it's three little boys who should be out playing, digging a hole, climbing a tree, whatever, just sitting with this just dead eyed expression on their face, looking into space. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one of like a couple sitting together at a restaurant on their phones. And then another one was a couple sitting in bed at night, like before going to sleep, both again, staring into the void. It's just mm-hmm. so sad. Which I guess makes me think or wonder, because um, we know that smartphone use is bad for your brain, mm-hmm. um, especially younger people. Um, it's just bad for your brain. That'll stunt brain development in the young, and regardless of your age, it will again basically make your brain dopamine resistant and artificially shorten your attention span. Mm. But I wonder how much that, um, kind of curious, I never asked it at the table earlier, but like 
how how much does that transition or carry over into like laptops computers like, even if it's for work how much does that carry over um, I mean it's still not great for you like from a physical perspective like having a job where you're looking at a screen all day even though it's not as addictive because again you're not looking at something that's giving you I mean, probably isn't giving you a dopamine kick to look at, you know, stats all day and enter data. <laughs> it does. I mean, that's, that's a little weird, but I guess good for you. If you're into that. Um, no, but it's still just not good for your eyes. Like, it, it strains your eyes. Right. The blue light, it jacks with your circadian rhythms and makes it to where you can't sleep well, which also uh, feeds into psychiatric issues like anxiety and depression, yeah. um, which is, again, a whole other thing. Um, but if it's... For your job, I mean, yeah, try to minimize. But if you're if you're on your screen at work, then you definitely shouldn't be adding more screen time at home. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was the other thing we were talking about with the screen time is uh, younger kids during COVID. That lady on Sunday. Oh yeah, a, a teacher that we we met at church was talking about how teachers and principals, parents, whatever, are kind of scrambling to figure out what to do because they can't really blame COVID anymore. But children who had been home during COVID um, that are now in the schools have only been in the schools for like a year or two. Like, again, if they missed preschool, first grade, whatever, then they, (laughs) the way that she said it's like they're they're feral. Um, Mm -hmm. They weren't, you know, acculturated to the school system. And so they don't know how to sit still, don't know how to listen. Um, but who, who would have taught them that, right? right? Their parents during COVID still had to work, so they just kind of lived wild in their homes, at least most of them. I'm sure there were probably some parents who um, adjusted things so they could actually parent their children. Mm-hmm. But according to uh, this teacher that we were talking to, most of them just wild. Mm-hmm. And then I guess mom mentality sets in. <laughs> yeah. Being taught not to, you know, lick the tables and roll around on the floor. That's just crazy. Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't help when your parents are distracted. And it also doesn't help whenever, again, this is a whole other issue, but both parents are in the workforce. I know for a lot of people, that's just a, a reality. Like, that's what you need to do to make ends meet. But it was never really intended to be that way. Like, we'll back up a second. That's a, another conversation because mm-hmm. we've talked about that a few times is how much Americans, maybe, I don't know, people, maybe worldwide, maybe not. Um, I think generally, at least in our society, they live way outside of their means and that's why they both have to work. That's true. Like life is not near as expensive as people make it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, my family was very large, uh, I have eight siblings, so there's nine of us all together, and we've always been a one-parent-income home. My mom homeschooled all of us, and yeah, I knew that we weren't rich growing up. In fact, I mean, objectively, we were poor, but there was nothing in my childhood where I felt like I I was in need for anything, right? Mm-hmm. We were always well-fed, always taken care of, always clothed, um, and I deeply value the relationships that I have with my siblings and now even more so that we're grown and, you know, all of us are believers and having that support and that counsel with them 
the relationships that I have with my parents. Like I would not have traded a two family or a two income situation over the upbringing that I got. Yeah. I wonder where that, I guess, stemmed from, I guess, with the rise of suburbs and extensive types of suburbs. Yeah. um, And city living. uh, Yeah. And that and just fewer children, a lot of people waiting to have children uh, Mm -hmm. because they want all these expensive things for their children. Yeah. Which they don't actually need. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And And there are good things to want for your kid, though, for sure. There are good things to want for your kid. Well, like, just wanting to give uh, to your kid. That is a good thing. It is a good thing. It's a, it's a noble impulse, right, mm-hmm. to want to give things to your children. But children need struggle, right? Mm-hmm. People need struggle, actually. If you set someone in a completely comfortable house and they always are fed and they're always given entertainment, like, that will be a miserable, selfish aimless, depressed person. People may think, oh my gosh, my ties on the beach or whatever is my dream. You'd get bored of it in a week. And then you're just kind of sitting on a beach with no purpose, no aim, nothing to work toward. You'll lose your mind. Children do the same thing. Children are extremely capable. Um, And part of that is they're growing, they're developing, they're learning. They're very capable at learning how to do things. Um, it's fascinating because I was talking to a group of moms the other day about, uh, the terrible twos. What's interesting is that societally, it seems like the terrible twos has actually shifted to the terrible threes. And in talking with that or talking about that with the moms, it seems as though brain development has just delayed because what happens in the terrible twos traditionally is that the toddler, they, they become Mr. or Mrs. Independent. Right, where they want to do everything. No, I do it. Let me do it. And it's just like watching a toddler trying to put on their shoes. It's just a struggle. Um, and they're demanding and they want all these things and um, they want to do it their way. And so they have to be taught how to regulate their own emotions, taught how to be reasoned with, right? But what's happening now is with brain development delayed because not good socialization at home because both parents work not learning how to control themselves in public because they're just handed a tablet. Like all of these things are kind of accumulating in just a a slower development. Whereas children who are challenged Mm -hmm. typically develop faster. Interesting. Yeah. And also how do you expect a child to listen to and to obey a parent that only sees them for a few hours in the evening the, yeah. the main influence, the main person raising that kid is either at school or at daycare. Not only that, but again, another good thing, but I think they've done it as a selfish thing, um, is having a date night. I don't think that's necessarily a bad yeah, thing. Because I feel like some people might avoid, like, they don't want their children. I, I know of some situations and people who've done that. Um, and they just, they want a date night. Again, you know, it's a good thing to spend time one-on-one with your spouse as you should. Um, but that should also be all the time. It's good to have it alone as well. Um, very important actually. Um, but in order to escape your children that you already hardly see, 
is not yeah. a good. And I think that's probably part of it because if you adequately parent your children, then that's not really an issue, right, for them to be over at grandma and grandpa's for an evening. Like that's not a big deal. Like, yeah. okay, cool. But if they're constantly with other people, then you're sacrificing time that you really don't have to give away with your kids. Mm-hmm. And it's like, do you, do you really want those kids? Yeah. Um, but there, again, there's a balance there because you do need to prioritize your marriage. Um, because yeah. really, you're responsible for your relationship with your spouse first. They're the one that you made a vow to. Yes, you are definitely responsible for your children, their upbringing, right? But ultimately, they're going to grow up and they're going to leave. If you have invested so much of your time and energy and emotion to your children that you don't know how to interact with or love your spouse well once they're gone, Mm -hmm. then there's a problem. Yeah. I know some people who do the date night thing really Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Um, They spend lots and lots of time with their kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And they they do need the time away. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just good for them. But, Yeah. yeah. Anyway, backtracking a little bit. Um, back to the porn. Man, straight from parenthood to porn. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the pee-pees. Oh, gosh, the peas. Um, I don't remember if you made your epiphany statement. I have not. So in, in talking about pornography and how to avoid it and talking about, like, different steps and strategies for, like, removing opportunity and triggers from your life is instead of just trying not to sin, right? Um, Our call is to be doing good. And so one of the antidotes, one of the things that you should be doing to try to cure yourself, not cure yourself, but I mean, guess you are, um, with pornography is not just trying to avoid it, but instead doing good in the opposite direction. And what I mean is, um, specifically for the... um, scenario we were talking about was a married man who was destroying his marriage through the use of porn is that porn itself is an entirely selfish endeavor completely you are using whatever people that you are looking at for your own pleasure for your own gratification it serves no one else it is a sin against god your own body and if you're married it's adultery to your spouse um and so it is completely selfish and so one of the antidotes to selfishness is, is to give. And so in that instance, whenever that comes up, instead of just saying, no, I'm not going to do that, you should be going to your spouse and intentionally trying to please them. Try to give sexually to the other person rather than acting selfishly in your sexuality. Yeah. And then uh, I believe you continued, or maybe before, at some point, we're talking about how... Um, Wives have not usually helped in this realm. No. Um, well, but it's not necessarily their fault. Well, it's not, it's not their fault, right? Um, but you can definitely do things to make it easier for your husband. Like, I'm not sure if it was helpful, the conversation we had early on in our marriage or not. Um, but whenever Zach and I were first married, one of the things I told him was like, I understand that one of the areas that the devil's going to try to attack you is through sexual temptation. And so even if you don't think I'm going to like it, if you feel tempted, I want you to tell me 
and come to me so that way you can appropriately express your sexual desire because that is a good thing sex is good god gave it as a gift not as a curse and the devil tries to make it a curse by twisting it into things it's not supposed to be and so i think wives don't help their husbands in this um and part of it is because they've been burned one too many times right um and so it's it's a both and not an either or yeah um And so sorry, I paused because you looked like you had something to interject, and then I stopped. Sorry. I did, and then I kind of blanked. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, anyway, continue. just in that, husbands don't help their wives to want sex by doing the things that they do, and then wives don't help their husbands to avoid sexual temptation because they're not giving either, right? So that's kind of a misconception in sex. Um, you should always be trying to give to the other. You should be more concerned about helping the other person, your spouse, enjoy sex than you are about pleasing yourself. And the interesting thing, though, is the better you get at that, the more it's actually going to come back around and your spouse is going to want to please you. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a cyclical thing. Um, Don't be transactional business partners. Yeah, exactly. Because um, that's kind of the issue that a lot of wives have is like, oh... You really don't want anything to do with them. Like, you don't want to talk to me. You don't want to spend time with me unless you want sex. Like, they they know that it's selfish. And so they don't want to engage in it. Yeah, and that's why I think you get the stereotypes. Uh, or not stereotypes. Maybe stereotypes. It's kind of stereotypical, yeah. But um, also the advice to um, touch your wife, but not in a sexual way or sexual meaning way. Um, I think that's why, or that's where that came from is because... Sex has not become, or has become a selfish thing. Yeah. Which, again, I think, again, husbands, they'll be upset, like, well, my wife's just never in the mood, and blah, 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 blah. Well, if she felt like you were more interested in doing things for her than just, you know, getting yourself off, then she would probably be more interested. Hmm. Um, because at least for myself and for other women that I've spoken to, the thing that makes me want sex is feeling loved, feeling wanted, right? Um, feeling cherished. And so if your wife feels that way, they feel like you are unselfishly trying to love them, chances are they're going to want sex more. Not that you should try to do that in order to get them to agree to sex, but you should reorient your actions towards your wife in an unselfish manner. And part of that especially if you struggle with porn is because it's completely selfish it's kind of like with greed right and that's one of the things that we spoke about at dinner is greed the antidote antidote to it is not just well don't steal and don't amass wealth and don't be greedy Mm -hmm. it's give yeah right and the same thing is true with porn it's completely selfish it's completely self-seeking and so you should be giving to your spouse not taking so obviously you know how you should do that if you're married Mm -hmm. i mean it's very straightforward how do you do that get married not married (laughs) i know know that's simple sorry (laughs) it's it sounds simple enough but that is not a very easy thing to accomplish yes you could probably find some person and marry some wackadoo to marry yeah (laughs) but how 
well is that actually going to work out? You got to, there's, I mean, a lot of steps in order to get married. You have to make sure that they are first Christ-centered, and then from there, go on. See, that's the thing, is it's not as difficult as make as people make it out to be. It's really not. Um, like, again, because there's a lot of, there's, ah, there's a lot of, Fewer things that are deal breakers than people think there are. Yes. Um, the main one is their faith. But you can find someone who's centered in their faith super easily now, especially considering like Christian mingle. Go find somebody. But I know that there are going to be people rolling their eyes like, it's not that easy. Fine. You're right. It's not. But on the one hand, that is the recommendation that Paul gave. Right? Whenever he's talking to the Corinthians... He says, yeah, it'd be better if y'all could stay single like I am and hold to the faith, be able to work single-mindedly for that. But because of the present crisis, I think it is best that every man have his own wife and every wife her own husband. Because sexual promiscuity and sexual sin was such an issue, you needed a good and righteous outlet for that. If you are not married and for... parallel right now. It really is. Like, get married. You don't need a big fancy wedding. You really don't. You don't need a big expensive house. You really don't. Like, save up and, and go on a trip together later on in life. Or, you know, save up money for a down payment for a house. Like, that's, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Say that you're not married then. Well, at that point, you should be seeking to illuminate as many dark areas of your life as you possibly can. So you should not give the devil a foothold, not give him any areas of access in your life, which if that means moving in with other godly men, so that way you can't just sit alone in your house with your laptop or your phone every evening, then do it, right? You shouldn't be alone. And also other positive forms of physical contact. And I know that's going to sound weird, um, but again, Go play sports with other godly men. Do something that you can get out physical energy in a good way and mm-hmm. then invi- invite as much godly um, community as you can into your life and get rid of those areas of darkness. Throw away your phone if you have to. You can get a flip phone and anything you need for work, you can do on your work computer. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Also sounds a lot easier than it really is. But it is... You have to be willing to see what you're doing for what it is. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's obviously the first step because a lot of people are like, yeah, I know I do this and I don't care. Um, yeah. So you have, to, you have to see how destructive it is to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh, no, I was saying it was just because we were talking about that the other day, actually. People don't realize what they're doing to their brain. Um, because the way that sex is supposed to work in your brain is um, like bonding to your spouse. And so you actually have a baseline like dopamine level in your brain. And then like during like sexual like stimulation and then orgasm, like it spikes. But after that, you'd think that it kind of hangs out high for a while. It doesn't. It actually drops below baseline. And other hormones like oxytocin, whatever, for bonding, those increase. And so there's supposed to be, yes, this like pleasurable experience in your brain, but afterward and well, during and afterward, it, it kind of happens simultaneously, but it's actually oxytocin afterward that takes takes control. You're supposed to be able to bond to your spouse 
That's what's supposed to happen. And so through repeated exposure to porn and then masturbation where you're orgasming without a spouse there, well, you're creating a vacuum where your brain wants you to bond to someone in a familial way, right? As, as someone you're trying to make a family with ostensibly. Mm-hmm. And instead there's no one there. And it's not like, oh, I'll just bond to myself. That's not really how it works. Your brain's not dumb. Your brain <laughs> realizes that there's not actually another human being there with you. Um, and so it, it has higher, higher incidences of like uh, depression and anxiety mm-hmm. because you're doing this thing that should lead to closeness and connection and bonding. And instead, you're, you're basically leaving your brain hanging um, because... Yeah. You're telling it that, oh, this should lead to this other good thing, but then it doesn't. Um, And you actually end up increasing your tolerance to it, which is why porn content tends to escalate. Mm -hmm. Because you increase the demands that you need in order to to satisfy that desire. Because it's going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow because it's not being um, exercised or expressed in the way that it's supposed to be. And so your brain keeps trying to up the ante to try to get what it's missing, but you're not giving it what it's supposed to have. It's like your body whenever you're eating garbage. It's going to make you more and more hungry because it's, you know. Not sustenance. Yeah, it's nutrient deprived. Well, that's actually a fascinating thing. The, <laughs> the majority of homeless people today who like live below poverty are, are overweight which is fascinating because they're malnourished, but they're fat. Um, it's kind of what your brain does with porn and masturbation. Like it gets fat <laughs> on the things that you're giving it, but it's still malnourished. It's still atrophying. It's still going to die. It's going to kill that in you mm-hmm. to where for some people it's severe enough that they can't actually be satisfied with a spouse because they turn themselves into voyeurs where they can only be stimulated by like watching other people have sex or looking at someone in the third person rather than a first person sexual experience with their spouse. Or even it has to be uh, variety driven mm-hmm. to where it can't yeah. be the same exact thing every time. Yeah. Which I mean, variety with your spouse is a fun thing. I mean, go yeah. for it. <laughs> I'm just saying like, it then it has to be in order for it to work. Is what yeah. I'm saying. Um, and that's actually an interesting thing with, with men specifically, again, trying to please your wife. It is better for your brain to try to pursue like sexually satisfying your wife because it's, it's a challenge. It's a goal, right? Because on average, it's going to be more difficult for a woman to orgasm than for a man. It's really straightforward for a man. Um, and so by doing that, what you do is you actually train your brain to want that because then you have an accomplishment. So it's kind of like a double dose, right? So you have the accomplishment of being able to satisfy your wife on top of like the the physical pleasure of of orgasm itself. And then you have the bonding together on top of that. And so that's how it's supposed to work together. Um, But it's just destroyed whenever you're just serially going back to pornography and just self-stimulating it is not how it's supposed to be mm-hmm. i'm gonna toss you this idea oh yeah <laughs> it came to me this morning uh when i was going to the bathroom 
<laughs> Where all good ideas it. come from. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, but I was thinking about it because you know how... Um, I was just thinking about what Jesus said and how he went through the Ten Commandments and made it about the heart, not just, oh, don't murder. You can't be angry with anybody or you're committing murder in your heart. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about the lust one. I was like, hmm. So how is... I, I kind of understand the anger one because you really... I mean, maybe not all the time when you're angry with someone, but I'm sure you can figure out or remember the times that you are angry with somebody that you want to, like, just... Like, I could just... <laughs> yeah. Hit you with a rock right now. But on the lust one, I'm like, hmm. Thinking about it, I'm like, wait a minute. Even, like, the times, because I struggle with porn... Um, that I didn't masturbate, those images are still stuck in my mind. Because mm-hmm. um, you were dwelling on them in a sexual manner. And so it just made so much sense to me that I'm like, not that I was having, I guess, sex with them in my brain, but because I was lusting, sexual intent, they were, I don't know, not maybe not bonded, but just stuck into my brain just like, it would be if I were having sex. And it, so then it is committing adultery in your heart. That was the idea that it was like, wait a minute, that makes so much sense. Hmm? He was, he knew what he was saying. It's almost like he was God. <laughs> oh yeah, God, God knows how the mind works. Yeah. And in an ideal world, right? Because Jesus talks about that whenever he's talking about divorce, right? His disciples come to him um, asking about divorce and uh, they say, you know, Moses said we could write our wife a certificate of divorce and then marry someone else. And he's like, Moses said you could do that because of your hard hearts. Mm-hmm. But that's not how it was intended from the beginning. He said, in the beginning, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man would leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two would become one flesh. And so in an ideal world, in the beginning, you would just be mated to the first person that you had sexual interest for and had sex with. That just is who you were married to. You would be bonded to that person and that's who you would stay with. Yeah. Like like lust and sexual interest in other people was never intended to happen. Right. Um, and so we live in a fallen world now. And so you have to put a, hand, uh, a handle on that because not everyone's going to follow God. Whereas again, pre-fall, that wouldn't have been a problem. If you had sexual interest in someone, well, it's a perfect world. Of course they love God. It's not an issue. Like, yeah. they're female, you're male, go for it. You're married now. Um, now the issue is making sure that you are marrying one of your kind, right? Um, because you're a new creation, right? You are, are trying to follow the spirit. You are indwelt by him. The old self is put off and you're putting on Christ. Like, you're trying to put your flesh to death. And so the issue is making sure that you are married to, that you are bonded to someone who is a new creation as well, that you are marrying one of your own kind. Because if you are not, it is going to breed just destruction, as much destruction as if you married a different species. Because you are. You, you don't have the same spirit living in you. And your motives and your goals are all going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, those, those images in your head... That, that pop up and show up because you've seen them. Like, <laughs> that, 
sexual desire, sexual interest was created as a good thing. The mm. only reason it's bad now is because we live in a fallen world and now eyes wander to things that aren't your spouse. But the antidote to that is not saying, oh, well, you know, it happens. It's no, go to your spouse, confess it, repent of it, and then give to your spouse sexually instead of trying to demand it of them or or take from them sexually or use them. Hmm. I would even go as far as to say, maybe, maybe correct me on this. I'm just going to say it. And Throw we'll, it out Yeah, there. we'll see. Because <laughs> I don't think it's the word that I'm looking for, so you might know the word I'm looking for. I would not even go into feeling guilty um, and feeling down and not wanting to do anything regarding sex with your spouse if you lusted, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, because I think it, it can go both ways. Demand, don't don't demand, but don't feel so bad and be like, I'm such a bad person. Like, Yes, it's bad, um, and it is a sin, and it's horrible, but do the full transition of repenting and give. Yeah, because it's... A, Don't sit in it. Yeah, self-pity is deceptive because you think it's remorse. But at a certain point, it shifts into still being self-centered. You're mm. you're throwing a pity party for yourself. And so now you're still no good to your spouse. Yeah. Right? You're down and chances are over time, you're going to drag them down too. Yeah. Um. It's just, it's going to rub off on them. And again, you're still not giving anything to them. It still took you out of the equation. If anything, you're taking more because you're taking emotional support. Yeah, support from them. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, correct me if, you're, if I'm wrong, but I think that was kind of an issue whenever we first got married is even though you were married mm-hmm. and sex was now a good thing, you still felt the need to try to control like your sexual desire and not... Like, lean into it. Well, there are various variables. <laughs> various variables, indeed. I really like that phrase. Uh-huh. Um, in that equation. Uh-huh. For one, yes, it X's was... X's and a whole lot of Y. <laughs> <laughs> See, it works so well. Um, because I had, I had uh, trained myself to not engage with anything sexual, trying to guard my heart, guard my eyes, guard my mind um, from looking and and engaging in that until I was married. And then I got married and it's free now to have with my spouse. I kind of, I'll make you pay for it. (laughs) Wow. I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, And so part of it was that and, and letting go because of just habit training um, my mind was like, no, can't, can't, can't. Why, why, why? But it's also good, good, good. So that, but then also my job, I would be gone five days out of the week. And so it's not like if I, I wanted to have sex and let that desire flow, I could do anything about it. So I'd have the two days on the weekend every week to engage with that, but I don't want to let it loose because if I let it loose, then... That following week is tough. And I did it a couple times. I know for sure one time, and that following week was horrible. Just 
so hard. Um, and so I think there was a both and. Mm-hmm. What are you smirking for? That's right. You said that next week was just so hard, and I thought, among other things. Oh, <laughs> I knew you were going to take it that way. Uh-huh. <sighs> Had to do it. Actually, I didn't, but you know. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, that issue's not happening anymore since, you know, we live in the same... We live together now. <laughs> wow. Imagine. So. That's um, what happens when you get married. It's a slippery slope. <laughs> I'm kidding. Like a slip and slide? It's fun? I mean, it can be. So, I mean, it's a good thing. Anyway, I think that that's a good good way to stop it. Yeah. Again, I just think the the overall point there is that as a believer, the things that you do should never be selfishly motivated, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of the whole point of, of dying to yourself and living for Christ. And part of that is, is living for those around you, living for others, because that's actually what Christ did, right? He sacrificed himself. In fact, he even says, I can't remember what book it's in. I can look it up later, but says, none of you should think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather consider others as more important than yourself. For even Christ did not see his own deity as something to be grasped, but rather put on the very image of a servant and came to serve rather than to be served. Well, it sounds like Paul, so it's one of those. I love my man Paul. Anyway, but that's the whole thing, right? Somehow we try to separate issues into being something other or something special or whatever, but it's not. Like, you need to set aside the selfish, sinful impulses and rather serve. You need to go serve the Lord and serve others in a tangible way. So you have, one, accountability. Mm-hmm. People are going to know if you are or you're not. And That's a huge one. It's just counsel. Yeah. That is a huge step and a huge break in freedom. Mm-hmm. At least when I found, because for a while I was just by myself, mm-hmm. and then I finally started talking to people about it, and it just it opened it up. And it mm-hmm. wasn't... Especially if you find godly people is the mm-hmm. main thing to do because they won't condemn you. They will bring you in. Yeah. And part of that, again, with, with spouses not helping each other well, is being able to speak openly about those things with each other mm-hmm. in a way that is there to help and to support, not to attack, right? Because you should be able to realize that your spouse is a fallen person and say, I'm going to always be here to help you with that because, one, I married you, and two, there are going to be times where I'm going to need you to be here for me in that way. Um, sometimes at the same time, you never know. Um, but just being open in those areas because part of trying to please your your wife or your husband, I guess if it's flipped the other way, is by asking like what they need. Right, and I guess for oh, yeah, that's you... what that's what uh, Willie talked about is that was the whole start of the conversation was find out what you what Leia needs and find out what Zach needs. And he was saying for us to find out from each other what what each other needs. Feeling that, which I figured out through trial and error. You're still working on it. Okay, <laughs> you figured it you out. You just called me a golden retriever. That's all you did when you answered his question. And how am I wrong? You're not, but. Oh. <laughs> You need you need pets, you need walks, and you need food. <laughs> yes, yes I do. It's so accurate. <laughs> yeah. 
And I will give with no short supply. Happy to. Now what do I need? <laughs> Words. I do. You need barks? I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Barks. Barks. Affirmation. Snuggles. Affirmation and snuggles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. but yeah, that was a lot of it, is being able to have accountability with other believers and then also with your spouse and humbly be able to like, hey, this is an area where I struggle and I know I probably have blind spots. And so being able to, to bear with each other's burdens and set up defenses, right? If, if you know that your spouse struggled with, spouse struggled with something before you got married then you shouldn't expect that to suddenly disappear. Well, it's it kind of doesn't. Like, it, yeah. It... Well, it's kind of like with you and me, right? Like, I knew that was something that you had a temptation toward before we got married, and so that's why I made it such a big deal whenever we got married. I was like, if you are tempted, I want you to tell me. I don't want you to, sh- to try to keep it under wraps and try to control it yourself because you don't want to hurt my feelings. Like, I'm your wife. Like, you should be able... To come to me with those things. And then I want you also to feel free to express yourself sexually to me. Because that's where you can do so. In a in a godly way. Thanks much appreciated. Aww. It's honestly helpful to hear that. When you said that earlier at the table. Um, very helpful to hear. Because I had been struggling. Hadn't told you. And I was like, I don't want to hurt your feelings. And you just now said exactly what I was trying to think of. That's why you should talk to me, dear. Do you do whenever you're not in a mood? Oh my gosh, here we go. Which isn't all the time. You're very sweet to me. <laughs> anyway. Like yesterday and my birthday, I'm so sweet. Yeah. Well, time to pray. Okay, you go. For it's day. been a longer episode. Oh, has it? Uh, Fifty minutes. Oh, time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess we don't really have a standard, but the longer it goes. The harder it is for people to listen to it all. That's true. We could try to cut it in half. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, let's break. Father God, thank you for this conversation and the epiphanies that you gave to Leia today at the, the dinner table with Willie and just the whole conversation that was helpful and constructive. I hope that this conversation and episode is constructive and helpful for other people that end up getting to listen to it. That they would use these tools and, and improve their their lives, not just to improve and become less sinful, but to become closer to you and to love you more. That is the goal, is to become more like you and to love you better, to know and make you love. We love you and thank you for what you've done and all the wisdom that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.